0: Welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast for lit lovers. Today's episode is another installment of Lit Period, our whirlwind tour of the great ideas and movements in English literature from the 6th century to the 21st. This podcast comes with a free printable download, a little guide to help you keep tabs on what we discussed today. It's available on our website at centerforlit.com slash litperiod4. That's centerforlit.com slash L-I-T-P-E-R-I-O-D, all one word, and the number four. You can also find a link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy it. Meanwhile, let's join the conversation. Hello, hello, all you listeners. Welcome to Bibliophiles. Glad you could make it for one more time around. Adam Andrews with you once again, leader of the Center for Lit crew, and joined by the entire complement. Of Center for Lit Crew members, my lovely wife Missy. Hi, my daughter Megan. Hi, my son Ian. Well, hey, and my daughter in law Emily. Hello, hello, welcome everyone. Glad that you guys could be with me today. Uh, primarily because I am the stupid one on this particular subject, <laughs> and I'm glad that you've brought literary <laughs> wisdom to drop upon me. It's another edition of Lit Period, our whirlwind tour through the Periods of English language literature from the sixth century to the 21st. And today we are going to piggyback on a recent episode into kind of a subcategory. In a previous episode, we talked about Romanticism, that movement in England by way of Germany that had a great effect on English literature in the early 19th century. And we mentioned a couple times uh, a term transcendentalism in our discussion of the Romantic period. And we thought that maybe a little further exploration of the transcendentalist movement might be interesting and useful to our listeners. So today's topic on Lit Period is transcendentalism, and we're going to consider it as kind of a subset or a special case of Romanticism. So with that statement as kind of a uh, a context or contextual um, statement, let's talk about the who, what, when, where, why of Transcendentalism. And I want to start with the where, because I think the where of Transcendentalism is important uh, in terms of putting it in its context. So, Missy, I want to ask this question of you. What is the where of Transcendentalism?
1: Well, the where of Transcendentalism. Transcendentalism is an American literary philosophical movement Of the 19th century that was primarily concentrated in New England.
0: Ah, okay. That's an important detail. When we talk about transcendentalism, we mean an American version of, say, Romanticism concentrated primarily in New England. Mm -hmm. And then somebody say, somebody answer me the when question.
2: Oh, it's 1800s. So we're talking 1820s, 30s, maybe even early 40s, depending on the work. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first half of the 19th century. Okay, good. Um, Jumping quickly, then, who? When we
0: say transcendentalists, that's not a phrase maybe that a lot of listeners have heard, or maybe that's not something you haven't really taken time to investigate, but maybe some of the writers in this period are more familiar. So, Megan, give me an example of a who of transcendentalism.
3: Oh, man. Uh, Emerson. Emerson's a big who in the transcendentalist movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Ralph Waldo Emerson.
3: Mm-hmm. He's famous for that saying, I am part or particle of God, which might give you a little hint into how <laughs> crazy and wacko these particular people are. <laughs> yeah, a lot of their ideas were
1: really fueled by uh, Unitarian intellectuals from Harvard University's School of Divinity, okay, if so I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> so, it, talk to us a little bit about that, because
4: I have no memory of but that.
0: But wait a minute. Before we do, that's getting into the what. I want to get another another couple of who- Another couple of authors on the who list. Emily, give us another one or two.
4: Uh, Henry David Thoreau.
0: Henry David Thoreau. Very good. Ian, contribute.
2: Must I?
3: Yes,
4: (laughs)
2: absolutely. (laughs) Yes, you must. (laughs) Did we mention Emerson already? Yeah, I got that one.
4: Were you completely checked out?
2: (laughs) No, no. As a matter of fact, I just don't... I can't remember all that many transcendentalists. Whitman. How about Whitman? Isn't
3: he the crazy one with Song of Myself? He is, indeed.
0: Walt
2: Whitman is another... Um, well now, I, well now I sound like an idiot. That's no fair.
1: <laughs> also, Branson Alcott and um, Longfellow actually was what? a member. No. of – yeah, he certainly was. No. He was no. a member. No, 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 my he was a member of the Transcendentalist Club. Crashing, down. but we're going to get
2: people confused if we talk about it like that.
1: Well, we can still. We we have to be honest. I mean, we're talking about the thing.
2: literary movement, not just the philosophical underpinnings thereof. Come on now.
1: Yes, but we're talking about transcendentalism. Right this minute.
0: Maybe we should. Now that we have the the (laughs) big names that everyone has heard Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, Walt Whitman, Mm -hmm. Louisa May Alcott, Mm -hmm. Alcott. Bronson Alcott. Um, Let's talk about the what, because we're we're bleeding into it already. What in the world is this American New England version of Romanticism? What's it all about? You say it's a literary and philosophical movement. What are the general outlines of it?
2: I can take a crack at it. Go Go ahead, Ian um it's think about it's helpful i think to think about it as a response to the spirituality of the day which is largely traditional um and largely christian and even puritan in some ways yeah oh yeah oh most specifically puritan absolutely um transcendentalism responds by saying we don't like convention very much when it comes to issues of spirituality or of truth, frankly, at all, and or, <laughs> of, or of morality even. Right? The, the way they think about it is the self and only the self ought to be the pure interpreter mm-hmm. of nature or of God or of truth. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, collective opinions of morality or efficiency or societal structure or of goodness are of no account to them.
1: Right. That's a very right. subjective kind of approach to, um, to life in general, let alone to spirituality. In Self-Reliance, Emerson wrote, To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all men, that is genius.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Emily, yeah. go ahead.
4: Well, it seems like whereas the Puritans focused primarily on the sinful nature of man to an extreme, to such a point where... Uh, there was no uh, mercy for the sinful man and he had to be contained. So the transcendentalists seemed to be reacting against that and saying man is primarily good mm-hmm. in all things and should be given free reign to mm-hmm. interpret the world for himself. So and as they- a
3: result, society was seen for them as kind of constricting, right? Yes. yes that's if right. Man doesn't really need to be um, hedged in by laws to keep his sinful nature from running over itself um, society's evil. Then mm-hmm. there's no need for a construct like that.
0: So, is this the context right. in which Henry David Thoreau's uh, great book Walden was written, Megan?
3: Yes, I think so.
0: So, th- so Thoreau goes off into the woods and says, uh, "I went to the woods to what find myself." I can't because remember.
3: The... Because ah, I
0: wanted to live to deliberately. I wanted to live right. deliberately,
3: right? Mm-hmm. And then you got to understand
1: <laughs> this connection with nature. It's it's really intrinsic to the transcendental thought because. The thought itself is based largely on um, pantheism. They have this concept yeah. of there being a divine spark that animates all men and nature itself. So when you go into the, uh, the woods to live deliberately, you basically are going in to reconnect with the animating spirit of nature and to kind of find the God within you. And um, it, it kind of resonates largely with cosmic humanism.
0: What do you uh, mean by that term? Well,
1: cosmic humanism is also very subjective. It's also pantheistic in nature. And there are, mm-hmm. frankly, a lot of similarities. There's a, different, um, a little bit of a different language being used because, like Ian mentioned, this, this movement, which was fueled first by Romanticism in England and Germany,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: this particular movement was very american
2: But also um, you can see the roots of transcendental thought in Hinduism, right? Mm -hmm. If you're reading the Mm -hmm. Upanishads or something along those lines, I mean, basically the pursuit is for enlightenment, which I think is kind of a a foundational inconsistency if you think about it for just a second. On the one hand, they believe that the human spirit is inherently good and that it can be perfected and that personal effort um, aside from society is the only way to achieve that kind of perfection. However, if your basic assumption is that there's perfection already then why is it that there's enlightenment to seek right mm-hmm. don't you just need to sit down and be quiet for a second and then you'll be enlightened um and all to, that well, makes me chuckle and in their defense that is what some transcendentalists
0: tried to do i mean i think that was at the root of thoreau's of thoreau's um expedition out into the wilderness right to sit on his porch and seek enlightenment within isn't yeah. it mm-hmm.
3: yeah i mean kind of the goal yeah. mm-hmm. of the transcendentalist is um to let the substance of divinity, I had a college professor tell me this, that the substance of divinity is supposed to flow into you. And if you're in nature, nature is kind of like a curtain that opens onto God and onto yourself. So the more you commune with nature, the more possibility there is for that divinity to flow into you. It all sounds very, very mystic. It is very mystical. And you can see how this
1: plays really nicely with English romanticism right, which stresses the imagination and nature in a reaction to industrialism over there. And we talked about that last time. Mm. You think of um, the world is too much with us, that words were thrown. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers, little we see in nature that is ours. We've given our hearts away, a sordid boon, right? Or his nutting where he goes into the woods and finds this bower um, that's been completely untouched by man. He calls it a virgin bower. And there he sits for an hour, um, kind of communing in joy with nature, this this uh, that same impulse shows up across. in New England. Yes, yeah. it, it shows up in New England. You can see it in Thoreau's Walden experience, um, and this is because they see the imagination as a part of this divine spark. Right, it, it's you know, evidence it resonates of it. for them. They they're yeah. listening to the Romantics. They're influenced by the Romantics, and then they're drawing from their own concept of spirituality that's largely Unitarian in nature. So they think of this divine spark as a kind of oversoul.
0: That you know? was Emerson's phrase. That's right?
1: Emerson's phrase. Yeah, I yeah. think it's
0: interesting that the to talk to think about transcendentalism as an American movement and this connection that you just make with with European Romanticism. Um, it's it's kind of purely American though, even though it has these European mm-hmm. roots. There's something. American about the individualism,
3: exceptionalism,
0: the exceptionalism. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that term. Emerson and Thoreau look at, um, look at themselves as, um, as unique versions of this oversoul in kind of an American way. 1830s, 1820s, 1830s, 1840s in America, thinkers and intellectuals and artists are starting to get the picture that something unique in the history of the world is going on here in North America. We are building a a society, mm-hmm. the likes of which the world has never seen.
1: Well, and-, and the national identity of that society is being forged, and we mentioned that when we talked about Longfellow and for example, his work with Paul Revere's ride on the eve of the Civil War. the nation is still very young and it lacks a national identity. We've got writers and thinkers um, who are basically earning a seat they've they've earned their status as a nation, mm-hmm. but they're earning a seat. At the, on the world stage, you know what I mean? At, yeah, I think so. At the so. table with the rest of the artists and thinkers in the world. And it's is peculiarly American. Exactly
0: right. And it's very much a question what, what that American identity is going to look like. Right. And the transcendental moment in the early half of the 19th century is one kind of play for a definition of what it's going to mean to be an American, intellectually spirit, speaking yeah. and artistically the speaking. the
1: spirit of the American? and. You, I think, you're touching on that idea of individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, Emerson would have said self-reliance, right? Yeah, it, self-reliance is very important, and um, also democracy, the democratic spirit, which comes out in Thoreau's civil disobedience. Pretty strongly. And right?
3: also the perfectibility of man, like Ian mm-hmm, was mentioning mm-hmm. a minute ago, that was kind of an assumption at the heart of transcendentalism. And it led to ideas about utopian societies, mm-hmm. which Bronson right. Alcott started one, exactly. actually. I can't remember the name of it. Is that
0: Brook Farm? Yeah, of
3: Brook Farm. Fruitlands he, was another. Well, he gathered together lots of thinkers, transcendentalist thinkers, and they together, um, going with this assumption that, that if man worked hard enough to get this divinity flowing within himself, then he was ultimately perfectible. They thought they could get a community that was perfect, a utopian community going. A socialist community. It, yeah, it was it was socialist, and it was it was a commune. It was a little weird, and it also
1: failed, as socialism has historically failed. You can read about that actually in Bronson Alcott's daughter's book, a satirical tribute to the experiment called Transcendental Wild Oats. <laughs> she doesn't paint a very <laughs> and pretty also, picture. This, is this. Is
4: Hawthorne's Blackdale Romance, right? Yes. Yeah, yes.
0: tell it, mention that Emily. I was going to say that too. Go ahead and, t- and tell us what you mean.
4: Well, Hawthorne married a woman who was somehow involved in all this and ended up spending some time living at Brook Farm just because he thought it would be a good retreat for his work as a writer.
2: Well, he was also, if, if you'll allow me to elaborate on that bit of biographical information for Hawthorne, it's his future wife's sister was involved in founding the farm, and he and his future wife didn't have any money in order to get married so they mm-hmm. went to the farm so that they would be able to live rent-free. Literally, I'm not even making this up, so that they could live <laughs> so rent-free, they even though he thought it was hooey.
4: Well, yeah, and he was <laughs> never really sold on the whole idea in the first place, but he definitely wasn't sold on it by the time he was done, and he treats that subject fictionally in the Bidel Romance.
0: Great book, mm-hmm. by the way. Interesting yeah. that the, the list of authors—Hawthorne is one, Edgar Allan Poe is another, Herman Melville is a third—the list of authors who take shots at transcendentalism— <laughs> Is equally as long as a list of tanda- transcendentalist authors, and you might actually say that the list of authors that were anti-transcendentalists is better. I don't know yeah, if we would that say, say that might be or a not. little.
3: That might be a little. We might be going that. too far. Go there. ahead,
0: Megan. What I do you, don't what, think it is too far. What do you say to that, Megan?
3: I don't know. I mean, I think the transcendentalists – I mean, there were a lot of great thinkers, and they were exploring that wacky idea, but they wrote about it beautifully, and they did have some good things to say. I don't know. I don't think we can toss the whole lot of them just because we don't like a couple of things.
0: That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Although I I do want to – Take a shot at Emerson, no, okay. if you would permit me. Um, Emerson's Emerson's main idea, in one of his f- more famous phrases, I can't remember if, if it's from self-reliance or not. I am a transparent eyeball. Well, yeah, well, that was a little
3: mm-hmm. weird. You're right.
0: No, that's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson. Oh, Emerson. Okay. I am a transparent eyeball. <laughs> I, I, I am nothing. I see everything. <laughs> you, sir, are a wacko. <laughs> that's what well, you that are. Would-
4: Called for the first American literature. He recognized that all the traditions in American literature were—it was basically like nothing had changed. It was still from England, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. wanted to see something grow up out of the American idea. And I think it did. And I think that the realists, that I think is on the schedule for next time, like Herman Melville, um, they took that up and did a beautiful job rising to the challenge. So this was I an important step but I also in think the process. They
2: his basic impulse, right. Even in supporting him in creating a, uni- a uniquely American um, style of, of writing and a u- uniquely American set of topics, they still are okay with whether they agree or not. And I'm thinking of Melville specifically, they're still okay with acknowledging that an essential part of the American project was Puritanism period, full stop. Right. I mean, oh, everything, sure, yeah. everything about the world of that era was crafted in the fires of, of puritanism in in early america so i think the the transcendentalists sit there and they go hey we need to break away from britain in our literary tradition so we're going to invent a religion the problem is that isn't actually what was truly going on i mean they were a relatively small set of people in the country at that point who were believing in those ideas and and writing about them that's why i think dad said what he said earlier about melville and his ilk um i think their writing ends up being more uh, maybe effective is the word because it has more to say to a larger volume of people in the country. Oh, sure.
4: I wasn't saying that they agreed with those ideas. I do think that he had, I just think that Emerson had some insightful things to say about intellectual life in America.
0: That's, I hadn't thought of that. And I think you're right, Emily. I, mm-hmm. um, I, I was taking a shot at Emerson because I think he's weird, but it's very true that at, on, especially in his lecture career, he went around saying, in effect, we are Americans, it's time to take stock of what original contribution to the intellectual life of the West we are going to make. And transcendentalism is an important aspect of that for the time period. But but Missy, you had a comment on that subject. Yeah,
1: because he was so interested in individualism, right? And he's, yeah, that's, he's that's wanting it. America to be individual as well, mm-hmm. to be a unique, a unique contributor in the field of ideas and art. He said, a man should learn to, de- to detect and watch that gleam of light which flashes across his mind from within more than the luster of the firmament of bards and sages. Mm-hmm. That is, man right. should be finally um, in tune with his imagination, utilizing right. his imagination to express his individuality as a contributor, which is
3: why he talks about himself like a transparent eyeball. However right. weird that image might be, right. he's emphasizing the need for <laughs> sight of self and sight of the present instead of constantly looking back at, the, at tradition,
0: at yes. the past. Hmm. Now, yeah. that's a great it, way to put it. It
3: should be a mix between those things,
4: but it is right. a good thing to say. It's a good point to bring up. It's well, a little overly
3: dramatic,
0: not, perhaps. Not only is it a good point to bring up, but that really does kind of summarize and maybe, maybe you guys check me on this, but doesn't that summarize one of the main um the main features of an American view of the world? Even to this day. I mean, don't we really mm-hmm. kind of live in the shadow of that idea that the transcendentalists came up with? That that focus on individualism, on the ability of the unaided human spirit to produce truth, mm-hmm. to move the society forward? I mean, doesn't don't all Americans Even as they just grow up, unthinking, sort of adopt that idea from the water around here. What do you think about that? Well, and
1: I think it's so important to acknowledge that this concept of uh, the American identity or the American spirit was really growing up while these authors were doing their best work. So, to um, to try to understand American literature and Americanism in literature um it, you have to go back to the transcendentalists and kind of get in their heads a little bit I agree. and see what it is they were about and you can see how all of their contributions all of their thoughts were really grounded in their uh, their theology yeah basically this this um this concept of the oversoul their their self-reliance um they could really stand on that because they really believed that truth was within not without
0: yes you know yes
1: and so they could say things like um, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little, of little minds because they believed in um, that, that the human spirit was perfectible and that progress was always being made. Uh-huh. And so we didn't have to worry about what we said last week or last month or last year because the present is really what, what matters and we're always growing and learning and changing. So never mind if I'm contradicting myself, that's not really a problem here because the God within continues to speak new truths out my mouth, and I find those truths within myself.
0: Awesome. That is really, that's exactly what I was after. <laughs> what could be more American than that, than what you just said? That's how Americans tend to think, is it not? And I think one of the things that's fun to, to notice today is that the reason they do, the reason we do, is in part because of these transcendentalists that came along in the 1820s and 1830s. We're still feeling the effects of them, Yes. I like and I mean,
4: it, it went too far, right? What do you I mean, mean take Emily? Well, <laughs> just taken to its logical conclusion, I mean, you need the past. It, it's uh, sort of what the, the realists and the modernists kind of lash back at is that the past has its place and it's always with us. And we need the tradition of great authors. You can't just like there is not really such a thing as the pure individual We're right. always influenced by those around us and those who came before us. And when I you try to break out completely on your own, it's kind of, you become untethered. And yeah. well, not
1: only that, you can see that they were being very strongly influenced from the thinkers in England and in Germany. In at Germany that time. Right. So it was completely false for them to say that this is a completely new idea. And it's, it's originating from
3: within me. Yeah, right. And Emerson emphasized over and over again that the way that you know truth is you know it by experience. And I think it's funny that they would cut themselves off from generations of men with experience mm-hmm. if they really did believe so strongly that experience would prove their truth. You know? And
1: truthfully, they didn't. I mean... Um, I think Thoreau was the one who talked about reading the Bhagavad Gita or something like that, yeah, pretty regularly, like daily. As yeah, I mean, he talked about it as a well he was, drew from or
2: something. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to say a second ago. Is that the only tradition they really cut themselves off from after saying all tradition is bad tradition and the self is truth is the Puritan one? Yeah, yeah. and you know, they didn't they even really do that very well. One.
1: I mean, because no, but a only lot because it times... was
2: impossible, not because they didn't mean it. They right, it's, it. it's true. But it's it's true. meant is Puritanism is a bad idea. And I think I stand with Hawthorne in his um, pretty eloquent rebuttal in The Scarlet Letter. Mm -hmm. He basically says, "Mm, I think the problem is y'all don't want to be wrong about anything. And that doesn't make you an effective intellectual. And I think he was right about that.
1: The thing that I think is so interesting about reading The Transcendentalists where this is concerned is that they were speaking into a world that was completely saturated by Christian thought. And so syntactically even, their idiom sounds very the idiom of Christianity. the idiom of Christianity. And if you're not careful, if you don't know anything about the transcendentalists, sometimes you'll be reading along and you will misread them. You will mistake their understanding for a Christian truth because it's familiar to you and think, oh yeah, these guys were Christians because they're talking about God here and they're talking about this and so. And they're even quoting from scripture periodically. They sound very religious. They sound, because truthfully, their philosophy was very religious. It just wasn't the Christian religion.
0: Yeah, I love how um, th- this conversation, my historian soul delights in this conversation because it reminds me that the Puritan tradition comes before this transcendental moment. The Realist period in literature comes after. Both every period is a reaction to the one before and an anticipation of the one after that will react to it. And uh, I love that progression: Puritanism, transcendentalism, realism. I think that's becoming clear in this conversation. Love it, love it, love it.
1: You know, lest we think that this is only a, a historical movement and it's in our past, um, it's still very much alive and with us. And it, it assumes different names and we experience it in different iterations in our own society. I, I mentioned cosmic humanism a little while ago and there's, there's still a large contingent of cosmic humanists who still believe all these basic ideals. Um, but even those of us who, who aren't, cosmic humanists or transcendentalists philosophically speaking participate in um, in traditions like for example camping getting out into nature camping um, living close to the <laughs> I earth never how about of camping is a transcendentalist activity example, about this, what about the back to basics movement right mm. simplify 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 right that this idea of simplicity comes from thoreau if i'm not mistaken the capsule wardrobe thoreau-
3: comes from thoreau no yeah, way yeah the
1: simpl- <laughs> simplifying life oh, yeah. Um, you know, getting closer to the land. All of those back to basics kind of ideas are really in step with Thoreau.
0: Was Thoreau a paleo?
1: <laughs> That's a really good. What about a
0: vegan? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> vegan? Anyone? <laughs> but listen to this. He, he embraced, um, he, he spoke against, um, materialism, you know, like wealth and saw wealth as kind of a hindrance to progress in a lot of ways, and embraced instead um, the goods of nature that he noted were, quote unquote, wild and free. He encouraged simplicity as a remedy for man's malaise. So, you know, those are terms that I see on t-shirts these days. It's a very common term and it resonates with us. It's not that these men were um, completely speaking, what's the word I'm looking for? That the things that they were suggesting were all um, abhorrent. In no. fact, as a matter of fact, many of them are principles we have actually adopted.
0: Yeah, I there's a actually- lot
1: to be said for simplification. There's a lot to be said for um, remembering, remembering the world without all the material trappings. Of society. There is much to be said for democracy as a movement. And when Thoreau wrote, wrote his civil disobedience and he acknowledged that there's no justice in mob rule. He was basically aligning himself with Thomas Jefferson and some of the founding fathers of our nation.
0: Well, I would go as as far as that at least, and also reiterate something I said a minute ago that the the American self concept, if you can talk about something so in such a broad generalization, includes a commitment to individualism, self realization, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the um, the the pursuit of of opportunity at the individual initiative, all of those things. Or at least given momentum in the transcendental movement, if not had their their source in it. So I would totally agree that it's that it's um, its influence in the 20th and 21st centuries uh, is is great, far out of proportion to its importance at the time. But but I want to j- jump into the literary vein for just a second. There's only one great novel that the transcendentalists authors produced, at least in my estimation, and it's Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. I've searched in vain for a novel that I think of, of has equal stature produced by a transcendentalist author or someone connected with transcendentalism. So let's talk about Little Women just for a second.
3: We have to? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I was after. Uh, Missy gives it the thumbs down, it looks like.
1: <laughs> well, not entirely. I do. You know, there are
4: some things about the
1: story that I think are charming. Absolutely
4: i think it's wonderful i i mean it's a childhood classic so i have nostalgic feelings about it
3: yeah exactly atmospheric nostalgic
4: on this podcast that i
3: deeply identify with joe
0: (laughs) i love it word megan
3: i mean i don't want to damn it with faint praise there's time and a place for little women it's very atmospheric it is it's a little didactic Mm -hmm. it's not
0: super subtle so Megan, you don't want to damn it with faint praise. Um it's charming in places. How does yeah. it how does it stand in your in your estimation as a a representation of the transcendentalist contribution to literature?
3: Oh man, I don't know. That's a hard question because it's not that she's like specifically talking about transcendentalism and that's the purpose of her work. She's telling a story about a little family and there's some family themes and, you know, coming of age themes are rampant throughout the whole story and I I like it. I think those things are are timeless. The mentions of transcendentalism in the story aren't necessarily positive. I'm not sure how Lisa May Alcott felt about transcendentalism. Her own father told you. Well, I just, I don't know. I think she didn't have an altogether positive experience with it herself. And that's evident in little women. Um, Joe, the main character, the protagonist, her father is a transcendentalist or a member of the movement. And he's kind of, he's actually kind of absent from the story altogether. It's Marmee and the girls, and they have a father, and it's kind of a loud absence, actually. And I wonder if that was self-referential in any way. Oh, absolutely it, it was. was. And
1: you can, like I mentioned before, um, Louisa May's work, Transcendental Wild Oats, yeah. in which she basically fictionalizes the experience that you uh, mentioned about the farm and um, you know, the little socialist experiment that they had there, mm-hmm. which this is how that went down. Um, The guys sat around largely flicking intellectual ashes and trying to save the world with their new philosophy here while the women did all the farm work. Right. And round about harvest time, the men um, just kind of discreetly sidled on out that door and left. And the women brought in the harvest and basically saved the project. Um, It was a failed project. And Marmee comes out standing on top if we can (laughs) borrow her mommy, (laughs) you (laughs) Mm -hmm. know from Little Women and draw her into the light of reality. Um, Yeah, not a very
4: flattering picture that she offers us. Well, and so I think it's all well and good to kind of talk about this in in general strokes. But even when you dig deeper into Walt Whitman's poetry um, and some of the lectures of Emerson and things like that, you can see, especially in Whitman and his war poetry, concerns that look more like realism than transcendentalism. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. That is fascinating. That That reminds me that I want to get on and talk about the realists <laughs> in a future edition of Lit Period because I think that's going to be really fun um, given the fact that we've done some context and we've done one on romanticism and one on transcendentalism. It'll be really fun to see uh, what Twain and the realists have to say about all this but before we do that I want to wrap up this episode of Lit Period with a few of Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, famous quotes and <laughs> just Missy a yeah a few Bone Mows, if I could use the <laughs> French um, that Missy has compiled just to kind of give us a flavor some of these you may have <laughs> heard already you may know these because you're an American you may have heard them because we
3: mentioned them
1: already
0: who knows but <laughs> let's just have a few from, from Ralph Waldo Emerson well
1: yeah and I just want to I just want to leave you with this the very idea that you are an American and the things that that conjures up in your mind can at least in part be attributed to Thoreau and Emerson. And I don't think that's saying too much. I don't think so you either. You may not know that your concept of um, the American as the independent, self-reliant man came from them, but it most certainly did take its origin there. Um, it, also, the concept of the American as a man of action, mm-hmm. right? Who are, what are Americans? They're it doneners. We, we get it done. We get it done, And we can thank Thoreau and Emerson largely for that, that self-reliance, that um, can-do spirit, that positivism, all of that stems from their transcendental thought and their work and writing about it. Um, Actually, Thoreau himself was very active politically as well and um, agitated for democracy. He was really against things like taxation, even spent a night in jail um, because he refused to pay a poll tax and wrote his civil disobedience from the jail cell there. So anyway, just keep that in mind while I read you a few of these bone mows. He says, uh, okay, where do I begin? Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. How about this one? Good and bad are but names very readily transferable to this or that. The only right is what is after my constitution. The only wrong is against it. And of course, he's not talking about the constitution of the United States there. He's talking about his personal constitution. Um, Ah, relativism. Yeah, relativism. To be great is to be misunderstood. Oh, goodness. Or how about this one? Your genuine action will explain itself and will explain your other genuine actions. Your conformity explains
2: nothing. This dude sounds like a peach. <laughs> Those are great. Oh, I love it. I love it.
1: Uh, maybe I'll leave you with this quote from The Oversoul. The Supreme Critic, capital S, capital C, on the errors of the past and the present, and the only profit of that which must be, is that great nature in which we rest as the earth lies in the soft arms of the atmosphere. That unity, that oversoul, within which every man's particular being is contained and made one with all other. That common heart of which all sincere conversation is the worship, to which all right action is submission. That overpowering reality which confutes our tricks and talents and constrains everyone to pass for what he is and to speak from his character and not from his tongue and which evermore trends and aims to pass into our thought and hand and become wisdom and virtue and power
0: and beauty. Transcendentalism in a nutshell. That mm-hmm. particularly American special case of Romanticism, that comes somewhere in between the American Puritan tradition, literally speaking, and the realist tradition, which we are going to turn our attention to in a future episode of Lit Period. About all the time we have for this episode, however, thank you all for tuning in and listening. If you get the chance, go over and rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate your attention. And until we meet again, my friends, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading. reading. (laughs) Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone.